Find Your Feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. Honey Alston, and I was the founder of this podcast. Alrighty, today um, I have a really, really interesting podcast ready for you for today. It's with uh, a young couple who have, have come down to Tasmania and are house sitting on Bruni Island, Lauren and Justin, and also their little one year old Morgan. Now, the interesting thing about these guys is that they set off to do an 1800 kilometer trek from Central Australia down to Adelaide with the one-year-old so as a family um it's not like adventures foreign to especially justin justin um has an incredible story he um he's a self-made hero he also calls himself the unlikely adventurer as someone who um in between adventures is not you know out there every single day playing really hard and playing really wild um he actually pulls himself out of normal living to go off and do extraordinary things Two of which has been to paddle across the Tasman Ocean between uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, And actually not long after the fateful day when um, someone else disappeared trying to do this feat. He then also was the first Australians um, to go solo unsupported from the tip of Antarctica to the South Pole and back. And he's created two incredible documentaries on both of these exploits. So a remarkable person and a remarkable adventurer. Lauren, on the other hand, um, doesn't have a background in adventure. In fact, I think on this podcast, she mentioned that she had only slept in a tent on a, like a handful of occasions prior to setting off on this 1800 kilometer trek. I mean, when I think about the complexities of doing this with a one-year-old child, um, my brain sort of slightly implodes. I think it's an extraordinary undertaking. Um, what I love about these guys is their humility and also the fact that Justin, when I reached out to him originally as the podcast guest, was really adamant that he wanted his family involved. That made a bit of a challenge for the podcasting, um, having a, a young one in the room. He had a dog in the room um, and it really was a family affair. So the podcast will feel a little bit different. Um, Jess has done a great job of editing but I really feel like it's important to tell the story as Justin sees it. Therefore, we're going to get into this podcast now, and I'd like to thank you all for supporting the Find Your Feet podcast and the Find Your Feet exploits behind this that are supporting us and allowing us to deliver it to you. All right, here we go. Here's our podcast with Lauren Morgan and Justin Jonesy. And so they, they've got these constructs of societies given them that they can't do things. Mm. And I think that's that's a really negative, the word can't. Um, I don't know I had one. Yeah, I know. And like, I, I, I saw it yeah. in Lauren. She had it and she just needed it. And I kind of pushed you pretty hard at certain points. Well, I think I'd pushed against you because I was pushing myself. Like when you tell me to do something, you'd be like, no. And it probably gets harder and harder the more like you polarise in, in your friendship circles and in your relationships. So if you like, Justin, you've gone off and done some extraordinary things like Antarctica and the Tasman, the ditch, the ditch. crossing. And I guess like it must feel like, well, that's that's his thing. Like Justin's the yeah. adventurer and I'm the, like however you identify yourself. But 
you're right. Like I, that's what I find on the tours when we pull these, you know, diverse audiences together, and people think, oh, that's that's the fast person. That's the one that races. I'm the one down here. But you find by the end of it, you all have this common ability and common interest. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I, I definitely think that every well, I get. Sorry, I'll start again because I do a lot of presentations and a lot of people come up to me afterwards and go, I could never have done what you what you did. I could mm. never have paddled a kayak across the Tasman. could never have done the Antarctic trip. And I always call BS because I'm I'm a very, very average person. I, I'm, I struggle with my weight. I'm overweight half the time. I yo-yo. And, you know, I have all these these things that are very, are very, very average yeah. Justin. But if you've got the right mindset and your desire to do things, anyone is capable of doing these things. I mean, like... You look at some of the people out there doing adventures um, and just that have not been talked about and it's pretty phenomenal. There's yeah. some crazy things going on out there. Yeah, like we're just, we're serious. We didn't do this trip because we thought parenting was easy. We did this trip because it, parenting was a massive transition and mm. we wanted to almost define that next chapter consciously and we wanted to take back, I don't know if it was take back the control, but we just wanted to, instead of going away from adventure during this big transition into parenthood, we basically walked towards it as an answer to solving kind of how we want to parent. Yeah. Because I think that was the, it wasn't that, it wasn't that having a kid was the scariest thing for me. It was that society's expectation of who you are then supposed to become when you have a kid, where your career is supposed to go you know your presence in the world just your whole identity is now shifted to mom or whatever yeah and I think that was the scary thing for me it, I really wanted the family you know I wanted to have um this unit and this tribe but it was that identity shift or the society's expectation of what that should be or my expectation because of that that I was really and it. how you execute the role of a parent it seems like we're getting that message more and more that there should be no germs and there should be you know like you know a house and a roof over your head all the time but i think <laughs> it was funny to see on the expedition so 102 days i think we started out kind of like all right so morgan needs to have x amount of bars you know clothes are this dirty then we need to put them away isolate them clean them and then by the end of the trip it was like a, a, sh a bath once a week um if it didn't have poo on it, it was still clean. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was the rule. And she thrived. Like, she didn't just yeah. survive on that trip. She thrived. Yeah. Um, yeah. She didn't get sick once. She, you know, like, I think her immune system grew versus you bring her back into city life. And she goes to preschool for the first time. Um, when she was two, she started. And just because it's a great, yeah, daycare, just because it was a good, you know, it's a good thing for her to socialize and play. Um, and she's sick all the time. She had her first fall where she needed stitches, you know, like, and I think that that's the shift. It's like, we think that we're bubble wrapping our kids in this safe, secure society, which I mean, taking her to, to daycare is a much more socially acceptable thing than taking her to the Outback. Yeah. But honestly, they're just two different situations that your kids are existing in. Mm -hmm. And the Outback was actually less of a transition for her thing. Uh, that's an education thing though, half days, because we copped a lot of flack or some flack about you shouldn't shouldn't take a kid down to an environment like that. It's you know, it's dangerous, it's irresponsible. Um, you know, kids don't belong out there. And it's like actually hold on a second. Um, look at Indigenous Australians, you know, they've been raising their kids there for sixty thousand plus years. Um, you look at all the farmers that are out there on stations, their kids are still out actually out in the outback in those kind of conditions. 
So it's just a matter of education. It's just society's become so. Well, I think what's she, the right word? She taught us that that I think we've all learned resilience. <clears throat> like she taught us that we could be more flexible parents and that we could parent in a different way because she was okay and she thrived. Like and and she was okay and she thrived. And that's a one year old in the outback. Like we went from zero degree nights to 43 degree days. You know, we were walking over 1,800 kilometers. We were living out of a tent that whole time. Um, and she and there was tons of flies. And yes, there's all these things, but she was absolutely fine. So I think the fact that she was fine broke that mental barrier around how can we parent and keep our child safe because we don't get us wrong we want to keep our child safe we did not do this willy-nilly we are not irresponsible parents there was tons of risk mitigation but at the same time we weren't sure how she'd fare because there wasn't a lot of stories of parents doing this there was more stories of why you shouldn't so that was our own we were trying to break that barrier to see if it was possible for us and that was the point of this trip. and has the noise of the critics the people there were people beforehand who were saying oh is that a really good idea or don't you think you should be settling down I think that was a comment that you'd had Justin when I read your Mm. blog and like did the noise of the critics settle down after you got back from the adventure like did people suddenly think what a great idea I think the critics that were loud before were still loud as loud after I just think we listened to them less um but I think that one thing that I, I had expected more criticism before we left, and we did have some, but I'd say 80% of our friends and family, or even 90 of our tribe, more people actually kind of came out of the woodwork and go, oh my God, that's great. I wish I had done it. I wanted to do something like that. You're parenting the way I wished I had. You're parenting the way I thought I wanted to. Even our pediatrician, I told him, and I was like, in our risk mitigation, I was like, can you tell me, you know, we're thinking of doing this, can you tell me if I'm crazy? And he was like, you know, I think it's awesome. I think, like, I wished I had done something like that. And that was very unexpected to me. It's cool seeing that some of the micro changes in our small community with <clears throat> some of our friends going, wow, if you can do 102 days actually out there, then then we can go on an overnight hike with our kid. Yeah. And so, like, you know, the, yeah. the asking what kind of tent we took and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. um, to see that happen is, is it been a really cool shift. Um, or even friends took, yeah, they did a month through the Outback and they, they yeah. took a hybrid vehicle instead, but they camped a lot and they, but you know, like they, they did something. They wanted to connect to desert and nature and they wanted to do it in a slow way. Walking wasn't for them, but they still did it. Yeah, really cool. and I think that's what, you, like I read on your um, your reason why you yeah. wanted to go on this adventure, Lauren, was that one of the quotes you had was that, um, you know, you might want to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not, I'm not changing to be the best in the world, I'm changing to be the be- my best version for the world. Yeah. And I think that really resonated with me and someone especially coming from, I guess, someone who's been in elite sport and that elite environment for a very long period of time is that I think you finally do get to a place and a point in your life where you realise that you need to be the best person you can be for the better of the world yeah. and that we're all on a, on a different point in that journey. And some of us, but, but I think what I'm trying to say is like if we all are working towards being the best versions of ourselves, we can have a really positive impact. And it doesn't matter if Justin can go and paddle across the Tasman Ocean or 
I can literally go and camp in a tent with my kid for the night. Mm. Like that's where you are at and you need to respect that. But that adventure muscle grows from that point. But I think it's pushing your own physical and mental boundaries of whatever you think is potentially keeping you stuck or holding you back from doing that thing you want to do. Sometimes that's physical for people. For me, that really was never a push for me. I never wanted to be the fastest or the best. Maybe I just wasn't (laughs) ever even in the running, but I just, it wasn't something that drove me. But when we were deciding to do this expedition, um, I had a mental barrier of what I, what parenthood and parenting and settling down meant. And I was really pushing against how is that career me going to fit into that? How is that personal me? How is that purposeful part of me? And how do I be a great parent? And so it was that mental barrier that I needed to be broken down. And because I had seen Justin break those barriers down physically and mentally for the things he had done, for the first time I turned to adventure to say, well, maybe this could help me break this mental barrier. Mm. So it wasn't that, it wasn't about the walk for me and walking 1,800 kilometers. It was about what the walk would, what I would discover about myself during that walk Mm. and what what personal boundaries I was able to break through. It's a big, and I don't, I don't even have no word for it because I use the word co-parenting, but people traditionally use that word when people divorce and parent separately. But I use it as like, we are both equal parents. We are both equal individuals. We are both equal business people. We both have equal purpose. And so we don't take on traditional roles, I guess, of I'm the woman and I do all the nappies and the yeah, cooking and yeah. like... We just, Justin's a better cook, so he cooks. I, you know, like to do other things, so I do that. And But we're both equally hands-on with her. We both look at our life and say, um, what do we individually want to achieve and what do we collectively want to achieve? Mm. And then we start to kind of prioritize that out. And that's yeah. where that, you know, defining your own personal mission statement and... Yeah, would the live curious, live kind, live grey, the Mm. personal philosophy, was that something that came from the three of you or from Justin or was it something that you thought about and sort of fed back into the family? I'm curious to know where that comes from because I I actually, like I personally have a a personal philosophy. It's be wild, play wild, perform wild. And I really believe that you need to work on yourself before you can really find out what you love to do and to play and then from that you can grow into like mastering that, that. Mm. um so that that was mine and but i've i haven't met many people that have a really strong understanding of their per- personal philosophy that sort of summarizes their values summarizes the way they think about life yeah. so where did yours come from um i mean i think that i i agree i think i think it's something that everybody should take the time to do and and i'm but we don't because i think we get busy and because we're working on other people's things or we're too busy at work or rushing around. I think it's scary because like I think sitting down with a piece of paper and thinking about like who am I, what do I stand for, what are my weaknesses, what are my strengths, what do I need what do I need to be the best version of me that I can be for the world? I love mm-hmm. that. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, I think that is a scary process. I think I think starting that process is the scariest thing. It's probably True. the same thing as an expedition True. or an adventure or a, or a run if you're not a runner. It's putting on your shoes and literally taking that step. But when you do it, it's actually freeing. Um, we ended up calling it our mission possible statement <laughs> because it was like, you know, what is possible for us? And what I think that, I don't know, it's a long story and I don't know where to start, but 
the reason it came out is by the time um, we had Morgan and I was kind of transitioning within my career and looking at the next step. So personally, I was transitioning my career and looking at the next step. Justin was looking at his third expedition. And originally his third expedition was going to be, and he can talk more about it, but he wanted to traverse Australia solo because mm. he had never done anything solo and he had never done anything in his home country properly. And he wanted to go kind of across the heart of it. So, but that originally was going to take him away for six months around. And that was before we had Morgan. Mm. And I was always for it because I think, you know, that's what he does and that's amazing. Um, but when that intermixed with when Morgan came along and he realized that there was this massive adventure happening at home, like she was connecting with, you know, the world for the first time and learning and discovering and growing. And that's pretty amazing. He was losing his psych for going on that solo expedition. During that time, I was losing my psych for working 70 hour weeks and never seeing her. And I wanted to dive more um, into my purpose and really kind of keep honing that alignment between sustainability and business and family and all of that. Um, so I guess we took this opportunity of a very challenging time when Morgan was born, she had massive reflux, she was crying, things felt all over the place. Um, instead of just going, oh my God, it's time to just go to the known and be safe and go back to work and just put our heads down and not think about what we want. We actually took the time to say, okay, let's take a deep breath and define what that is for us. And I, from my business background, I'm like, well, every organization talks about their own um, mission statements. Mm. And so I said, and I know that some organizations have them and no one cares. Some actually really galvanize change. They connect people, they bring people in, they, they build communities around their mission. And I was like, well, why don't we find what that is for our family? And instead of doing that for other people, find what that is for us. And then therefore we can attract the right partners, the right friends, the right opportunities, and also equally clearly um, identify the things that don't work and let it go. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And it's funny because we, we actually came from, well, I came from the other angle yeah. when we curated our like um, personal philosophy. Yeah. And that was that, um, I realized for myself as a person, like I had to, to really work out who Hannah was when she wasn't running and when she wasn't competing and when she wasn't, you know, achieving because I'd for so long had got wrapped up in that and caught up in that. Yeah. So I went on this really long internal personal journey and started to learn a lot about myself and started to realize that values weren't just an airy fairy thing that you had on paper and you just kind of did to keep keep a psychologist happy or keep a mentor happy, but yeah. they were actually really important and really intrinsic to you. And then when I realized the value for that in me, then I suddenly realized actually a business plan and a strategy plan and understanding your mission and your values in business is really, really important. And then yeah. I took the whole team on that journey with us. Yeah. And it has just become the best thing I think that we've ever done in business. And so it's really interesting that we've come we've come from complete opposite angles, yeah. but we've met in the middle and went, it is really important to have that personal philosophy. Totally. But I think it's similar. I think it's not too dissimilar angles. Like you came from the, you know, that pushing and achieving in the physical world. I came from that pushing and achieving in the probably 
intellectual or that, you know, career world. Mm. And when you strip off that title, I think it's that, that old saying of, you know, we put too much effort on the doing instead of the being. And, you know, in indigenous culture, they don't care what you do. You have to actually, they need to know who you are mm. first. You have to actually sit there and be in silence and be with them before you can get on to the doing. And I think too often, I think humans today or busy people just focus on what they are doing and they don't focus enough on who they are as a being. And I think, I think this yeah. work is all about that. And the Western culture is definitely on that trajectory of do more to be more. And I think, yeah, what what I guess we're finding the three of us here as our personal mission is to to help people to see that you need to be more to do more. Exactly. Um, and often that's to to do less as well. Yeah. 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 And to get yeah. clarity. So I guess the the live curious, live kind, live great was um, it distilled kind of a lot of our values that were important to us. The live curious was to, um, I guess, see everything through that childlike curiosity that there's playfulness, that there's fun, that you're never the expert and you're stale, that there's always, you know, kind of remember that that wildness and that newness about the first time you ever climbed a mountain or put your toes in the grass. And it's kind of bringing that whimsy back into mm. life and that play. Um, the live kind is all about purpose and contribution and that that needs to be a core aspect of everything that we do. Yeah. Um, and then the live great is whatever great is for you you know that could be that's it it could be slowing down it could be connection it could be adventure it could be whatever but it's defining you only have one life Mm -hmm. you know if you say I'm going to do it later there is no later um sometime is not a day of the week and I think too often we do things in our 20s and then because we're footloose and fancy free or we wait till we're retired and that time may never come and it's kind of all about recapturing every day. Yeah, and I felt very strongly when I was um, doing some homework on you both. <laughs> your ears may have been ringing. No, I was looking at um, at your mission page mm. and you're very much around like bringing back the, the child within us as adults as well. And I, I love that, like the, that basically like being in a sandpit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and playing and yeah. like play night, just play nice. Play nice. Yeah. yeah. Share. Yeah. Like it's those simple <laughs> And things. don't pull out the plants on the side just because you want the sandpit to look pretty. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love that. Yeah. I really did. But that's, and that's our, our logo when we were like, oh, let's do a fun family logo for this trip. Um, that's, it's, it's binoculars, yeah, binoculars like held by kids' hands because it's trying to remember to look through with that curiosity, look through your lens to life with that curiosity that often we forget as adults. I really love that. Yeah. I'm curious to know how like your philosophy um, has changed your, your mood, your relationships. You touched on like how it might even be able to change the way you socialize with your friends and the, the, the people that you pull around you as your core. Like I'm interested to know how you felt that playing out. I think... <laughs> In some way, the choices we make now, we come back to whether whether it suits, you know, what we've defined as our as our guiding guiding light, as our north star. So, is what those you know because yeah. those values are our success. So if they don't fit into that, then it's rather than just chase, chasing necessarily chasing money and this that the other or opportunities. It's just purely financially focused. You know, it's like actually hold on a second, let's let's chase some experiences. Um, so for us, for example, a week, three weeks, no, a month ago, we went out on a 
on a 10-day camel trip into the middle of the outback. And it's probably the worst time that we could possibly have gone out and left everything because we're trying to get book, book submissions in for the book that Lauren, Lauren's mainly writing and I'm creating a documentary. And it was the wrong time for us to go away, but we're like, what we said is that life is about chasing these experiences. Life is about those opportunities and, and defining that as successful. So for us to say no to that is to be flying against our mission purpose. Mm. So we're like, well, we have to go. And it was the most amazing experience. It was so cool. It was amazing to see Morgan back into the outback, fall back into her role from the trip um, and to <laughs> learn how to camelier. Yeah. yeah. And I'm guessing you feel like you're at your best, Justin, when you're out doing these things. Uh, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, I have a, a bit of an issue with, I think, being in the present sometimes. I'm always forethinking things. And so we actually, we had a pretty interesting argument on the, on the big expedition. Um, and my head is always doing numbers on trips because it's about limiting the amount of exposure that you're, you're out in the ocean or you're down in Antarctica. So the faster you can do things, it's, it's a safety precaution. And so for us on this expedition, I was like talking about times, how far we have to go each day. And Lauren was coming more from the experiential point of view, like wanting to have experiences along the way. And so me having to shift my mind away from that was a pretty interesting experience. So um, I absolutely love it. And it's those moments um, where you put down the camera, you sit down, you take a break. My favorite moments in the outback or in the outdoor world is when you can just take time, mm. sit down, look around and be present. Um, unfortunately, a lot of things that you do in the outdoors, like trying to make documentaries and stuff like that, take away from it a bit. But when you take that chance to do that, it's just phenomenal. But you have to prioritize it because if you because if it was all about the numbers and how quickly we got to Port Augusta, um, we wouldn't have taken that extra day at an indigenous community or that extra time at a station or the extra time underneath a beautiful tree. And that was something we always negotiated because if you took time to do that, it took away from this end goal. But then that's when you go higher and say, well, what is the real goal of doing this? Yeah. And you pull it back to that. Yeah. But it's funny because I heard you say, Justin, are you the best at your outdoors? And you said yes. And I was thinking, oh, oh my God, I am not my best. I, I think I'm sometimes my worst in the outdoors just because it pulls me to my raw sense to where I then rebuild myself. And then it allows me then to be... The, but it, it, it tears me down to a place that is humbling in many ways that then... I'm going to correct you there. I'm still trying to find out where I'm, I'm best. And I think that's an evolution you never... Yeah. You never stop. It's like, kind of the exciting thing that keeps you moving forward, isn't hmm. it? That's that hmm. feeling like you're searching, like that journey of self-discovery. And we were just saying earlier how scary it is to launch into that sort of trying to understand yourself in that sense of self-discovery but then kind of once you warm into it it becomes more and more and more exciting and it sort of almost becomes like intoxicating yeah. if you're like me like you start to become even more curious and about the world around you and how you can fit into it and how you can enhance it i don't know if you feel that well yeah it's interesting the for me the early expeditions i had different purposes different reasons different reasons for doing it um searching on all the trips searching for maybe different things um self-purpose you know sense of self i think the early expeditions were a bit more about being you know trying to leave a mark on the world a sense of arrogance ego came into it like with the tasman you know two young kids thinking that they could you know take on the ocean feeling invincible um and wanting to leave their mark in the world and then antarctica being completely honest it it was 
I think I did, there was an element that I just wanted to go on a big trip again. I just wanted to be to, to do a selfish endeavor like that again, and to to hurt. I know that sounds funny, but to go out there. Oh, and it doesn't of, to my brain. Yeah, to, to go out <laughs> it does to mine. So explain yeah. it because from an outside perspective of someone who's not a traditional adventurer, I never understood that. Because we talked about it, we're, we're very different. Laura yeah. and I are very different, and so. Uh, there's something about that that going off and really pushing your body and your mind to the point where it, where it breaks or just before it breaks there's something about that that's fascinating because you learn a lot about yourself as a human being you break yourself down to the rawest components and you're like holy crap can I actually put myself back together here and finding that backbone or that determination that helps you keep on going um, is pretty cool but this, it is it is slightly addictive. There's something addictive about it. Yeah. And with this expedition that we did as a family, well, one, having Morgan and having Lauren there, it, the motivations have changed automatically because I don't want to be pushing us that hard because if we're pushing that hard, then that's dangerous for Morgan. So um, it, it, it did turn to more of that experience, but I did find myself falling into that sort of slightly masochistic point at, at certain points of the expedition. I hurt my ankle third week in, and that was an issue for the next 80-odd days. That was something that I think I almost reveled in in some way because I liked having. Yeah, I mean, you saw me. Did you get the same sense of accomplishment when you got to? Was it Port Augusta? Was the finish point? So yeah. when you got to Port Augusta, as you did say, crossing the ditch or reaching the coast of Antarctica again, it's, having been to the South Pole. It's it's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to say probably not, and. There's, this is a, that's, that's the short answer. But the long, story, long answer is you can't really compare to, say, 25,000 people on a beach waiting for you as you pull in. Yeah. Um, and then with the end down in Antarctica, having Alexander Gammy, this, this chap that was trying to, we were racing against, end up sort of waiting three kilometers short of the finish line to finish together. He waited for two days. It was pretty amazing. But the, the end of... But that's the difference with this trip is that it was never about the ending. Exactly. It, like the ending it was, was about an, the journey. It was about the journey. And it was about the experience. 100%. The ending was an anticlimax, yep. but it was the journey. I was it like, was, but it wasn't even that anticlimactic because we didn't actually anticipate it to be that great because yeah, it, the point of it was never to... True, but I mean, like we pulled in there and it's kind of like, oh, it's over. Rather than, you know, the Tasman or Antarctica, it was over, massive celebration because, yay. Whereas it was like, it's over but I kind of wish we're still out there. I get the kind of sense though that the other adventures that you did and maybe to clarify for the listeners, one was to paddle, you started in New South Wales, paddled across to New Zealand, across the Tasman. Yeah. And that was a Guinness record at the yeah. time for first people to do it. And that was after the the notoriously deadly um, one as well was Andrew, Andrew McCauley. McCauley. Was yeah. that after that as well? That was. And we were actually originally meaning to leave at the same time as Andrew, the same year, but we had issues with our kayak, so we delayed it a year. And unfortunately, right. Andrew made it to 80 k's off the coast of New Zealand and was never found. Um, they found his kayak, but never found him. Amazing. Um, yeah, horrific. Uh, it, there's an amazing documentary on it called Solo, if you ever are in the mood for Ooh. a very dark, deep documentary. Yeah. Probably one of the best ones I've watched, but very hard to watch. But um, it highlights that that... That was a huge undertaking, not comparing it to the, the Port Augusta trip, but a huge undertaking that really sat more as a, as a, like you said, a, a solo or a silo of adventure. This is just one thing that I need to do. And I kind of get the feeling that Antarctica was a bit the same, like I needed another one and this is an idea and I really want to accomplish it. But I, I get the, the feeling that the Port Augusta trip was more the beginning of mm. a way of life mm. as a family. So exactly. it wasn't like 
the end point at Port Augusta was actually the meaningful thing. It was about the what, what can we what can we experience therefore what can we do going forward so it was almost flowing straight into the next phase of life yeah well said i mean like it probably shouldn't say it was an anticlimax the end wasn't an anticlimax it's the fact that that's not the end the journey journey continues that's what i'm thinking i'm saying is like the journey seems to still be going on now we're sitting on bruni island in tasmania and we're already talking about how this may lead to moving to america for a period and cruising back to you know like it seems like you've got all these plans now in the pipe works about like a lifestyle as a family exactly yeah i mean that that was always what it was for me was you know could we break that mental barrier and by crossing the outback for me we broke that mental barrier i think i i understood um why people adventure and i think i had never really like i i loved adventure for the sake of you know like i mean i moved across the world to australia not knowing anyone from america to me that's an adventure Mm. but the pure physical realm of adventuring like you both do which is it's hard it's painful it's you know it's you're really beating your body up i never i never understood it and i still i still don't know if i fully um feel the same way about it as justin does but i remember after six weeks after one month i remember it was a dark time. Um, well, the first, the first week was the hardest. And the whole trip, the first week was the hardest because we were all finding our feet. And was it the hardest because of fear or was it some other emotion? Like, can I just break that down a little bit more? Because this is something I'm, I'm so fascinated by is the emotional side of adventure and putting ourselves outside our comfort zone. I think, I think it was the hardest because there was multiple things hitting at the same time. So I think it was hardest because for an expedition i had never realized the amount of planning that goes into it so for eight months we had been planning this trip so i was thinking by the time we get to the start point we're going to be fit and rested and ready and ready to go but we got there and we were exhausted because we had been up for weeks packing food and planning logistics and you know training as much as we could but it still wasn't enough so that was a fear in the back of my head and there was never enough time and so we were we were literally physically and mentally exhausted to start the expedition and then you arrive on your start point and you have a thousand eight hundred kilometers to walk in front of you so that's that's one mental hurdle the other mental hurdle was why we were there in the first place which was we had our baby so i had to not only turn myself into some sort of outdoors woman and figure out how to camp and not shower for weeks on end and do a physical feat and then learn how to become an outdoor woman was the second one. And then the third one was how do I be a parent in a totally wild space without normal amenities and to keep my child safe. And so that was my biggest priority. My body kind of came somewhere else and So it was all of those things at the start of the trip that were going, oh my gosh. And then when the first week unfolded, we had multiple flat tires. We broke our axle on day eight and we didn't have spare axles. So that was a huge, I mean, that was like a trip breaker where we had to really figure out what to do um, at that stage. Justin can go into it, but emotionally and mentally, I go, holy crap, if we didn't like if we couldn't plan this and we've spent months planning, what else didn't we know was going to happen? But we were just so, we had put so much time and energy. I was like, I don't care how we do it. There's no right or wrong. We're just going to keep going. Yeah. So let's figure this out. So we hitchhiked back to you, Laura, 
we got a spare axle sent out from Sydney, but in that week, five days of waiting to wait for the axle to have it sent out to, to backtrack, it just, that was the biggest mental and emotional game ever. Cause there you are from, okay, I'm in the bush in the middle of nowhere in the wild. And now I'm in some weird resort land, um, waiting, you know, it was a strange five days. It was just a weird five days. And so easily we could have said, well, we've already failed. We already failed. It's week one, and let's just write the trip off. But the trip wasn't about being a, the first people to do something. Yeah, it wasn't about being the first, the best, or whatever. The trip was breaking this this mental boundary. And so for us, the biggest challenge was to keep going on that after that point, and we did. And after that point, I feel like every week got better and better. But I remember at the end of four weeks, I just said to Justin. Is this fun for you? Not just the four weeks. You're saying that every every week. You're going, are you having fun yet? I was just checking in to see if he was enjoying this because it wasn't necessarily fun at that stage. It wasn't. It was hard. And what was my response to you each time? I don't even remember. Was, is, is, you just wait. No. Just wait. Like, just honestly, just wait and just keep going. And You just kept telling me to keep looking for that next that next 100K or 200K. He's like, just don't, we don't even, we're not even looking, we're not even caring about the end. We're just literally, let's get to this point. And that's it. Yeah. And And just, just wait, just wait. And it was interesting seeing your mood change. And then all of a sudden you were like, it hit. At week six, I hit Adventure's End. It was awesome. You were like, wow, like I get it. Like that's, you know, and it was really cool to see that sort of like, you get it like there. Cause Lauren Lauren doesn't come from an adventurous background. She's been camping. You can count on, probably one or two hands before yeah. she met me. It's extraordinary. So, and her first expedition is 102 days in the outback. Like that that's unheard of. Yeah. But when you first started in the adventure world, Justin, did you have that innately built into you? Like um, knowing that there was going to be discomfort, knowing that you'd have to like push on through and then you'd get to adventure zen mode or is was that ability to say that to Lauren coming from those previous adventures that you'd had? I, I, it definitely wasn't built in. Like so I, I, I'm, I'm not the fittest, the fastest, the best at anything. Like I, I was the fat kid at school. I'm a really bad sportsman. You ask Lauren if she'll throw something at me, like a ball or an apple at me, and I'll bat it out of the air rather than try and catch it because I'm so uncoordinated. I'm glad there's someone else on yeah. the planet that I can empathize oh, with because yeah. I have the same problem. Oh, it's, it's crazy. And then I'll throw something yeah. at Lauren. It'll be a terrible throw. And she'll just snatch it out of the air. Yeah. And I'm like, I hope Morgan gets My your PE reflexes. My PE teacher tried to fail me in sport at year eight, even yeah. though I had swimming records in the pool because I can't catch, I can't throw. And she told me I didn't try hard enough. Yes. It's just an yeah. innate problem. I, I get it. it, it yeah, <laughs> in the, you know how there's like A, B, C team. You guys should start the support teams? crew. Yeah. I, I, was, I was in the G's <laughs> for my first year of like cricket or rugby. I can't remember which one it was. And I'm like, I didn't know the grading system yeah. went down that low. Yeah. <laughs> I was the last one picked on to like, you know, in the class yeah. when they'd like, you know, pick your teams. Yeah. I was always the last one, unless oh, it was the running race. And, uh, and then yeah. I was, then I was up the front. But that, that's <laughs> such a harsh thing for kids to go through because like that's, you're like, oh God, am I going to be last again? You're standing there. Oh, so I empathise. So I empathise too. So I, I, I never had that in me. And I think it's actually just that sustained exposure, that, that flexing that muscle. So the one thing I did really like is I liked, liked bushwalking. So I started doing more of that. And then the trip started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So like one day, two day, five day, um, you know, two week long trip. And then it's like, oh, hey, why don't we paddle down the length of the Murray River? And those just things build up. And you, you sort of get this sense of, of what you're capable of. And you get that confidence that the, that the outdoors, I think, an adventure teaches you. But um, in terms of that adventure, Zen, I've actually only ever, ever hit it sort of a handful of times. And I'm searching for it. 
it's there's been moments actually out there in on the Tasman the first real time I can honestly remember it was was out on a day that was pretty horrendous. It was day four of the trip because we we're getting pushed out of our out of our way and we had to do a bit of an all night push and like waves were splashing around and there was night time so stars I was paddling out by myself cats was catching a, catching a, ca- a kip in the back cabin and I was just like wow this is what I'm meant to be doing at mm. this time this moment in my life and I was like oh. it's like that flow state yeah but if you chase the flow state I reckon it's elusive yeah like I think you can't get to it I think it's when you let down your guard you just let life happen you're in that moment and that's when comes, that's when you hit it comes in the moments when you don't expect yeah. it sometimes when when you, when you shouldn't be in flow state and then all of a sudden like wow I think hey. you can set up the opportunity in your life for flow state to come in but I think if you chase anything it ultimately you're in that energy of chasing and therefore that thing that you're chasing whether it's money or love or whatever it will always be two steps ahead so you almost just have to allow yourself to be open to the experience and then let go of whether it comes in yeah but it was interesting in that in that adventure zen place i remember i remember being shocked because it wasn't an extraordinary day it wasn't an easy day it wasn't any different day we we actually it was a hotter day than usual we did 30 Ks when at the beginning of the trip doing 12 Ks was a lot. So we did way more Ks. Um, it was a later, we, we pushed in late, but everything that seemed impossible was possible. And it, I'm not going to say easy, but it was achievable mm. and it felt fun and I was doing it. And then the sunset hit and it just, and I mean, I think that we hadn't washed in two weeks. You know, like it was, there was no reason that I should have had adventures in at that point. It wasn't like you just had a baking hot shower in a nice clean motel and looked back at the last bit. You were still out there and it, and it was here. Yeah, we were like out in, in the heart of it, in, in the depths of it. But the depths of it, which seemed impossible at the start, were possible at that moment. And mm. that, I think, was the big mind shift for me, that adventure made what was impossible possible. I mean, you probably experience that with running. I mean, there's certain times where you set yourself up and you think, all right, this today's my day and you have a bad run. And then sometimes you're like, I'm just going to go out. And then all of a sudden, and it's pissing down with the rain. And you know, all of a sudden yeah. it's like, wow, you know, look at this. Yeah, and I've spoken about it on the podcast. So listeners are probably getting bored of bored of the story. But for me, it was a, a really big turning point was we just did um a, a run into Federation Peak. A, a run, like, look, it's like a wade, hop, skip, mud, wallow, <laughs> like, clamber get scared and then come back again and um but we had a a lot of rain in the night leading up to it like a lot of rain it was still hammering with rain when we woke up in the morning and I was quarter to four and I rolled over in the sleeping bag in the back of the van and you could like in a tin van like rain on the roof it's like you're like um and I said to Graham like I'm scared like I'm really scared and he was still pretty so sleepy and he's like "Mm, mm, mm mm-hmm and then just sort of rolled over and I was like and I just lay there and I was like look have I have I done enough work to Mm. to know I can be out here have I got the gear that I need to be out here do I have the mental skills have I got the experiences and I could I could honestly say yes 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 therefore get out of the van and just have a go because and I wanted to ask this because like for me 
I've had to really redefine what success means to me. Like, again, I just come through this sporting system that just breeds success is standing on the top of the podium and that is it. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think, like, especially when I got into the trail run world and the ultra run world, you, you began to realize, like, so much of it isn't about that. And then when I moved more into the adventure world, then I began to really realize, like, success for me is about being willing to to be on that edge of discomfort to be out there and doing it Mm. and whether that meant I got to the top of a mountain or I didn't it it didn't really matter so failure to me was just not getting out of the van that day and actually having a go yeah and I kind of wondered about that for you like have you noticed do you have like a strong sense of what success would be for you in adventure has it changed with the the change in the you mentioned like early on being a bit more driven by an ego versus driven by this sense of curiosity. Like. It, it's interesting. I think I think one thing you should always do, um, and this is just a bit of sort of team management stuff, if you are going out with a group of people that on an adventure, I think defining the parameters of what makes an expedition a success is, is a super important thing. And you, you've got to do that to yourself as well, personally. But in a group environment, it's, um, it's sort of magnified. So, all right, working out with the team, what defines its success and so for the Tasman for example it was like all right number one is that we stay alive Mm. (laughs) number two is that we remain friends and number three is if one and two are achieved then we get to New Zealand and so that that's kind of what defines success for that trip um and, and for me personally you go out in the outdoors success is is I mean it's a bit cliche but it's like being afraid and being able to move past it but not just not just from bravado, you know, with calculated thought behind it. So, right, understanding the risks are involved, countering all the risks, risk mitigating, and then choosing to walk through the door even though emotions might say not to. Mm-hmm. Um, trust your gut, though. If there's something going on that's like, oh, I've just got a really negative feeling about it and it's not in your head and it's in your gut, then, then I feel those feelings are really, you know, you listen to your body. There's been some times where I haven't listened to my body and... and you know, I've, I've paid the consequences and the price and I've viewed them as a failure. I actually did the, the when I was the North Face 100 um, back in 2010 and um, I broke my, oh God, which bone in my leg is it? Um, coming down the lower cascades, 12 Ks in. And I didn't listen to the signals of my body because I was really good at that point in my life of, of turning off and just going, no, nah, you shut up body, you just keep going. And I didn't listen to my body and I got through the rest of the, the race um, six hours slower than I wanted to. Uh, and at the end, I was like, well, actually kind of when I found out that I'd actually broken um, one of my leg bones, lower leg bones, that I actually failed. Like I didn't listen to my body, didn't listen to, my, to what I should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And so... Um, Yes. It's, sorry, that was a bit of a waffle. No, it's not a waffle. And I I really, I can really hear a lot of that, especially when you're on your own and, it, and it's you, but I'm really interested to know then how you can marry that sort of success uh, with that of your partner in crime when you're in adventure. Like, do you and Cass, who did the ditch and Antarctica with you, do you have a similar... Um, way a similar way of approaching adventure a similar kind of concept to success because i could imagine if one person was like no we've got to make it to the end and that's it and it's do or die versus someone going i just want to have a journey and it's you know it's about the fun it's going back to 2001 um cast myself and another friend from school we paddled down the length of the murray river and talk about great lessons to learn about sort of uh, teams 
um, we had different goals and objectives on that trip. I wanted to have the experiences back then, take it easy, you know, you know, do some fundraising along the way, to just enjoy the time down the river. I was thinking of like Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> and the other bloke, Andrew, he was focused about, I want to get down, I want to do 100Ks a day each day, I want to nail this and do this as fast as possible. And Cass kind of sat in the middle and he could go either way. And so it was this compromise between between like, you know, all right, let's push as hard as we possibly can for five days here and then we'll do a Jonesy's way for a while. And it kind of meant, meant that everyone was slightly unhappy in, in, in a sense. So I think you definitely got to be on the same page. Cass and I, we don't see eye to eye when we're in the city, you know, necessarily. But like on those trips, when you've got the same goal, the same focus, and you're both working towards that, you're on a parallel path. Whereas as soon as we got back to the city, you know, we're slightly different people. We work in different ways. And you just, you diverge. So I think setting the parameters about what you're trying to achieve, hyper important in the outdoors yeah. if it's a mission. There's a lot of footage um, in the, I strongly recommend people having a watch of the Antarctic film. I, I loved it. It had me chuckling the whole way through, but I could feel a lot of pain and I really, my heart was out to you guys in some of those moments. But was, was there more emotion coming from you or Cass or was it equal on the Antarctic adventure? Um, I'm just trying to think the, end. Uh, the Tasman ones the, the Tasman one I'd say there's more from Cass because he lets his emotions go up and down whereas I kind of on expeditions really pull my emotions tight because you can't have I, I feel like those bipolar up and downs are dangerous and so like I limit the emotional response how do you do things. that though I'm actually curious because I'm like I'm quite an emotional person like I find things like stress can build up in me and then bang well, and I, I feel like I don't almost have that control all the time I'm just I'm trying to think about how I actually do it it's funny because Lauren could probably talk about it seeing from an external perspective I at home I can fly off the rails over some minor little thing that happens and yet something happens on an expedition and I'm much better at holding together like, I feel you'll stub your toe and it'll be like he cut his toe off like he'll be <laughs> like screaming and I'm like oh my god what happened did you cut your toe off yet on an expedition he could have a broken bone and you wouldn't know and that was actually something that I I would challenge in Justin I was like I need you to start listening to your body like your body is a source of wisdom and you shut it down to push through for an end goal and I think that there needs to be a marrying of body and mind so you need if if this is for me if you're so he had an ankle problem on our expedition if and he, and he would get out of the tent in the morning and couldn't walk because his ankle needed to warm up. It, it wasn't good, and he'd be crawling around. <laughs> and there was a fine line between you wanted some attention and you didn't. And, and I actually turned the hard line where I was like, okay, we have two choices. Your ankle is either unwalkable and we need to stop, or we can keep going, but it means that it will not jeopardize your ankle in the future because I don't want to keep going if it means that you won't be walking when you're 40. Like, I want a long history of being active. So we need to protect that, and that needs to be a priority. And, you know, it, it was a fine, like, Justin was just like, I, don't, I will keep going at any expense. And I think he did push his ankle beyond what I would have pushed my ankle. But at the same time, you did listen and know your body, and you knew you could keep going. No, I knew I could keep going. And it's, you probably helped me just work it out right then. I let my body take complete control when we're off expedition so that's why the stubbing the toe hurts so much so that I can rein it in on the trips 
<laughs> you know Sorry. what? Like I, because this part of the conversation really fascinates me because I, I, I have come to learn that I have the, the same switch as you do. Mm. So in day to life, I, I feel like I must sound neurotic. It's like, oh man, like this and my Achilles and then this. And then I can turn on Federation Peak Day or I can turn on Race Day and I can get in the deepest pain hole and it doesn't bother me. It doesn't even come into my brain that I'm hurting. I just switch gear and I don't know... I actually don't know how that happens. But that's because you've exercised your muscle. Like, you guys talk about adventure muscle like it's something that everybody understands. Like, most people don't even know they have it, let alone have flexed it day after day, run after run, kayak after Antarctica after, you know, it just... It, well, let's, let's explain riff, how you even let, let's riff on this for a second here because like it's interesting and like you, you pose that question to me and I don't know the exact answer as well so let's try and work it out okay because okay? I, I think there's a couple of things that probably help towards it um, and with those the, I think with the adventure muscle works really really well and that switch to be able to turn on and off to mute your senses in, in, in some regards comes from experience there's an element mm. where it's learnt so you've gone through and you've done X amount of runs to get up to that point where you're comfortable you've done X amount of runs in the rain X amount of runs in the mud eh, through scrambles to a point where Federation Peak you're like alright from my experience I can piece together all those things that I've done in the past and that leads to that that point but I think there's also another element to it I think you learn to love the strength that you feel in that moment do you like you were talking about it's intoxicating to kind of be so uncomfortable um and i think that i like finding that inner strength but i'm curious to how i can't often bring it back into daily life with me to the same level as i can when i'm out adventuring mm. and that's the bit that i probably don't understand can i give you something that this is something that i've, well, I've we've been talking about and i've kind of learned to switch on to myself in the past year only and that's that I'll something will happen and I'm doing some work on the computer and then something will happen and I'll have a bit of a hissy fit about it and I'll break down and get really emotional and up and down about it have these bipolar moments and then I'll go actually hang on a second if you're on an expedition you don't have this luxury to be able to do this so what I say and this is just a verbal cue to myself is like all right switch into an expedition mindset like if this was actually on an expedition, you don't have the time to sit there hissy fitting about something because you've got to take actions. You could take steps That's towards true. it. Um, otherwise, it becomes a serious issue. So that on, I'm thinking about the Tasman, for example. Something happened one one day and it was a seriously gnarly situation with 10 meter waves. And I was like, I'll just jump off the kayak and swim to the back and fix something up. Um, it just had to get done. And if we were to sit and wait, then the, the, it would have got a lot worse. So coming back to the city... You, you, you bring some of that urgency back into it. You go, all right, well, look, let's treat this like an expedition. What would you do in that situation? And it's like, all right, cool. Well, we just need to do X, Y, Z or need to take the emotion out of it. Um, and I find that helps me with some of those problems I have in city life. Um, but learning how to take that, turn that switch, I think, I think comes from experience. It mm. comes from having done it and having hurt a little bit and pushed and known you've been able to come through it on the yeah. other side. Um, I definitely do think that it mutes the positive side as well. Uh, do you find this? Yes, yes. Yeah. You become a bit more like zoned in yeah. your bubble and you don't notice as much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that view's beautiful, great, yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, it's oh, a bit yeah. Like that. oh, yeah, I'm like that. <laughs> um, so it's got its positives and negatives. Yeah, that's really, I find that really interesting. It's not all the time. Like it's just on, It's for me, it just kicks in when there's fear. Yeah. So fear is when I when I go into my little bubble. 
than my pain cave. Is fear good or bad? I think fear is great. I think fear, what I've come to learn about fear, and I actually had a guest on the podcast who really helped me a while back um, to recognize this, is that fear shows you what's meaningful. Um, And the only way through fear is actually to get to the other side of it. And I use that a lot, like when I'm out doing things that are scary and even in daily life when I feel a bit overwhelmed is like, look, if you're feeling a lot of fear around this, it's just showing you this is really meaningful to you. Um, And I've spoken to a lot of people since that podcast who've said how helpful that mentality has been for them as well. Mm. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you still need to respect like and have the skills where you know where too much fear is. Un- like where it goes to the unsafe zone mm. um, especially in adventure because yeah. that's obviously a slightly can be a slightly different but if it's just that <gasps> I don't really know if I want to spend a night in a tent you know that kind of fear it's telling you you really need to spend a night in a tent yeah, yeah fear, fear does keep you sharp Mm. Well, you always say don't be scared be aware yeah. I mean that was one yeah, thing that, I saw that on your blog that was yeah. and, and that was I mean that was a big truth because there was points I'm like okay you know we're we've been walking you know 30 k's it was a lot with Morgan and I needed to get her into a safe place because the weather was changing or lightning storms were coming over the horizon and I would have this mom instinct of just like I need to get safe and then I also didn't have a lot of experience in the outdoors, so outdoors still felt unsafe. Like I was still finding that wild me. Um, and just was like, look, we're, we have the tent, just like you said, we have the gear, we're fully capable, you know, we can find a place that we can hunker down. We just have to be aware and know that there is urgency in this situation, but fear is not gonna help. So don't be scared of it, be aware of it and start make better decisions. And so we've been trying to do that with Morgan, too, because a lot of our kids are, you know, we breed fear on them, especially women. Like, oh, with girls, don't jump off that. Be careful. Be careful. And it's like, but boys are encouraged to do it. So I think I try not to tell Morgan, you know, just don't, like, be scared. I just, I'm like, okay, Morgan, be aware. You know, in the outback, be aware. There's snakes. If you see a snake, what do you do? So I'm trying to take the lessons that, we learned out there that you've learned on your expeditions and bring them back to daily life and distill them um, in a way of, you know, a thinking mindset around adventure that, that. It, it's funny, like fear, fear is a good thing and you use it to, to sharpen you up. It's funny when you talk about irrational fears, mm. um, when like I get claustrophobic, which is an interesting thing. And like I can, I, I get Especially really... for someone who spent a very long period of time in a small boat. Well, that's the thing though, because, and I, I look back on it now and I'm trying to struggle to think about how I actually did that. And it's about the, that lead up. And I, I, for me, there was a mindfulness thing. I, I didn't know it was a mindfulness thing at the time, but it was this kind of mantra that I kind of had going on for myself. And, and I do fall back into it every now and then when I get really terrified of something. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. And it's just the fact that, you know, you shouldn't try and trick yourself into thinking, oh, this is a great situation. I'm fine. I'm perfect. Because you're not. You're not necessarily in a great situation, but you look at the facts. The kayak is keeping you safe. Yes, there's 10 meter waves outside, but the cabin is keeping you safe. It's, you're inside. It's stuffy. Yes, it is. But it's better than breathing water. You know, there's all these things. And it's like, all right, well, it just is. This is the situation I am in right now. It just is. Um, and I just say that over myself and just think about it. And it kind of rationalize myself into really a, a calm that. state. Yeah, because it's pulling you into the now. Mm. Like it's not taking you in the in the future, and it's, it's taking not taking you in stories. the past. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. And stories can be only so helpful up to a certain point, and then you realize like you're at this point in your life where you need to be on your own two feet. Mm. Yeah, 
I'm really interested, Lauren, just quickly to to explore like where your role was while um, Justin was paddling like the Tasman and doing Antarctica. Were you in the p- picture at this point? No, I met Justin four months after you got back from Antarctica. Yeah. So you know, one of the things that I was really attracted to was kind of his unconventionality um, <laughs> and the way that he viewed life. You know, I think that there, being in the corporate world, a lot of people, not that the corporate world's bad by any means, but when you do go into the city, you just see a lot of people that seem switched off. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the banker wanker mentality or the, you know, it's, it's all about me or it's just, it's like they're in a haze. And I think I was looking for someone who wasn't in that haze. Um, and so when I met Justin, I didn't know when, I mean, when you said you had kayaked to New Zealand, I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that journey. Um, I think I had just moved to Australia at that point. Um, but I, I just, it was more of his energy around why he did these things. It had that childlike wonder of, I just want to see the top of that mountain. And that's what was attractive. That, that caused some friction in us to early dating when we moved together for the first time, you know, and on the weekends I was like a bit frantic and I was just like, I need to do something. Yeah. Uh, and Lauren's like, you just need to go out and do something so you can come back calm. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to go out for a walk and not know where that day was going to take us. And so there was an intensity of like how extreme. So, I mean, our first bushwalk that we did was <laughs> like 15 Ks in the Blue Mountains. Um, no, it was actually more 20 something. Oh. early 20s and like we went up there for a day thing to because i was scoping i was doing anything for a client so i was like oh i'll put lauren through the, the paces and we went off and did this it was a pretty pretty fun well full-on walk and then i was like all right and on the way home let's go watch the waratahs play rugby at the stadium <laughs> and lauren was like look just you can't pack in and so my much. body started shutting down because it was super cold i just did this massive mm. walk and i needed to rest so there justin needed to find out when he pulled back and I needed to find out when I pushed. And so we've been finding those those boundaries. And 1,800-kilometer trek across the outback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was funny. You did say after that trip, it's like, oh, 300 k's to Canberra. We could walk that in a week. <laughs> yeah, well, it does change your perspective. We were talking about going to visit her bro- his brother in Canberra. And he's like, that's only 300 k's. And I was like, oh, we could walk that. It'll only take us how many days. And I, but just my mind had shifted. And I think that for me, it was, okay, it's not just physical pain for the sake of physical pain. It's that your mind shifts and your perceptions of what's possible shift. And that's when I understood what the point of adventure was. Hmm. So where, where's the adventure bug now with you, Justin? Like obviously two crazy massive out there adventures that most people can't wrap their heads around. Then one as a family, which is, put you on a new pathway of adventure or journeying but I'm guessing that there's still that bug for the epic side again yeah no no look I I think what I was suffering from when when we came up with this idea to do this family expedition together was I, I wanted to do a big solo trip across Australia I wanted to do this big epic adventure and like this part of me that still kind of wants to do it but uh what was holding me back was missing that adventure at home you know seeing Morgan grow up to take six months out of a child's life you miss out on so much and that wasn't worth it to me and so we came up with this idea of, of the family expedition now it doesn't mean that I don't think that there's the scope for big expeditions in the future but I think 
I don't want them to take up such a long duration of time. Mm. I don't want to miss out on this adventure with the family. And the adventures that I see us doing that are big are going to be adventures together and things that we've just got to try and work out how we can actually do as a family. So, you know, looking at the options of sailing, for example, I think you were touching on with Lauren. Or, um, you know, cycle touring with, with bike buggies behind us, those kind of things. Um, as long as I can get my fixes, my small little fixes for, for things kind of, so I like with my spearfishing, my diving, stuff like that, then then that'll keep me kind of, I think, pretty grounded. But I still think it's important to pursue your own individual mm. things. Mm. And I do think, like, but, I, I do think that we do prioritize that. Like, I just went to Bali for a week to do a yoga meditation course just because I really felt like I needed some pure, like, time to just drop into me. And it was funny because a mom going away for a week, there was a lot of reaction to that. It's just a week. Justin was home. He totally took care of Morgan. Everything was fine. But I think societally, that's not done. People wondered if we were having marriage issues or what was going on or was I having a breakdown. And I literally just knew that I needed to have some me time and I wanted to kind of further explore that mind-body connection. And after this big expedition, I needed it. And I went and, you know, it, it was just, yeah. it was more, it was that, it was funny to challenge that we don't always have to do stuff together. We can have our own individual pursuits. I am still an individual human and a mom and a partner. You are still an amazing adventurer and a husband and a dad. And it's, I think it's finding how you fill each of those cups yeah. up. It's just changed, it's changed for me though. I don't want to be away for, for three months. But that's like, you. That's and me. if you yeah. did want to be away, I would support that. And I would say now, I just think that that we're yeah that it's easy to fall into black and white mode, um, but I but I love to say that like there's shades of grey in the middle, and I'm just guessing just because of the amount of similarities even coming out on this that you kind of settle in and you're like yeah no I'm, I think I'm done I think I'm done with that and then <laughs> just sneaks up on you one day and you'll be out on a, a walk or a run or a paddle or a ride and then you just get that. Do you, nah, have, do, you have, do you have a list? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got a list on my computer. <laughs> my bucket list just grows, yeah. though. It starts to terrify me. It is. Yeah. It is. I don't know. So, yeah, you're but there's, right. there's some that just always pop back to the top time and time again, and they're the ones that you know that you do need. And Graham and I talk a lot about this as well because his, his background's been, you know, a lifetime of skiing and adventuring and like and that was his world. And I mean, I, I barely stepped on snow and I'm like a real monkey if you try and put me on skis. But... Um, we we constantly talked early on about how important it was to be individuals in the relationship and to inspire one another and um, he's you know really wonderful at supporting me to do what I do and I think I don't think I could do what I do without that support and vice versa I'd love to see that time for him where mm. you know he he knows that he can get up and leave whenever he needs to to go and do it because it is it's it's part of us and I think it's I don't know I feel like when you are so confident and, and doing these things that you love doing that's when you find your best self mm. yeah there's the whole concept of the adventure widow if you, yeah. yeah 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 you know that and that's it's a funny one i mean cause, yeah it's just it's an interesting thought that one person keeps on adventuring and the other person stays at home just to mind the family you yeah. know and or, or triathlon widow because someone's training all the time and the other person's taking care of the family it's it's a and it's usually the man going out. Yeah, and the it generally is that it's, yeah. that it's that male, female. There's yeah. that sort of gender bias. Um, 
What was my point? Well, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, but it, like you're right, bringing up your because I was thinking about the adventure widow issue as well. But I think each of us, I mean, we're adults when we go into these relationships, yeah. and I mean, we know the type of person that we're committing to as people. Th- that said, there's a really high rate of divorce in adventure because yeah. people continue a certain lifestyle and they they think they can keep on doing that thing and have all the benefits of home life as well, and that sort of means that their partners and them are on a slightly divergent path. And, and there is. I mean, it's unfortunate the number of people that have gone through divorces and this, that, the other, and the older eventually. But I world. think that here's the difference. It's in relationship, it's like about carrying water, mm. right? You're carrying water up a hill, and you each have a bucket. Yeah. Okay, have you heard this one, you know? Yeah, but I love, I'd love you to tell the story. So it just, it, it does, someone told me this a while ago, and I was like, yeah, that's really true. So let's say, let's go on the adventure widow, you know, um, scenario. So that would be... If that was to happen, then one person would be saying, okay, well, can you carry my bucket while I go off and do whatever? And so, and you're like, okay, well, I'll carry your bucket for a little while. Okay, cool. And you're, you're, you're going up, up the hill. And then they come back and they ask for, oh, are, how are you doing with your bucket? Can I put a little more water into your bucket? And you're getting heavier and you're getting more off kilter. Um, and you're like, well, actually, could you carry my bucket for a little while? And it's, you know, if they, that's when the choice happens. So if they don't pick up your bucket, then you mm. continue walking up, it gets heavier and heavier, you get more frustrated, you keep feeling encumbered whenever they ask you to take another cup of their water. Um, versus a relationship that works is you each have a bucket, you each carry your bucket. I might need you to carry my bucket for a while while I go and pursue something, and that's great. And then when I'm coming back, I carry your bucket, mm. and it's an equal share, or we both share carrying each other's buckets, and we do it together, mm. and we walk together. Because I think there is an important part of doing stuff as a family and having joint Definitely. goals but I do think that that adventure widow what I wouldn't have been okay with is if everything was focused on Justin's adventurous pursuits in Justin's adventurous world that made me feel like I was left out and it was hard to come into the adventure world within yes he's a world-class explorer I'm not I am adventurous but that almost got lost in I don't I struggled to find my identity in there and I still do. I don't consider myself anything unique or different. But in your own right, you have like incredible, um, incredible, have found a very successful career in that sustainable worlds and using your masters and your undergrads and your experiences and your, you know, so are you able to maintain, like, where do you see all that fitting into this adventurous lifestyle? Um, I don't, I don't know where they all come together still. I think that it is who I am. Therefore, zero waste expeditioning was a big deal to me. You know, we looked at cutting our single-use plastic waste to near nothing. We looked at buying in bulk. We looked at, you know, doing things ourselves, making our own products. Like, I will always, I always want to identify where my impact is and minimize my negative and maximize my positive. Um, I know who I am in the corporate world. Um, when I became a mother, you know, that shifted a little bit because my priorities changed. Um, I still want to make the best impact for the world. Like I, I want to be a part of, I want to have purpose and be a part of, um, leaving the world to be a better place, both for, you know, our next generation and the generations after. So I think that those two things will come together. Um, I don't, I'm trying not to look at them as one or the other. Um, I think that they will 
they will align as they're meant to align. Mm. I love that. And I feel like today has just been an exploration as much of anything as exploring yeah, where adventure can take you as people. And what what is really apparent to me is that it's taken you not only on the journey of you know, seeing Outback Australia and for Justin, like seeing some extraordinary landscapes. But more recently, it's also taken you on an adventure of self-discovery and like where you guys can have your impact in your world and in the greater world around us. Um, are you are you noticing that this, this light, like latest adventure has opened up doors to changing the way other people are thinking about their footprints and their possibilities beyond I mean going and thinking they can go and sleep in a tent with their family but in the way that they're adopting that be wild mentality I think it's more the settling down different mentality it's it's almost giving people the subtle okay that it is if they are wanting to blaze their own trail or do it differently then then they can I think that looking if you're coming into having kids um, looking at our parents generation how they settled down is either financially impossible this day and age or you don't want that lifestyle in the suburbs or wherever it was so I think there's not a lot of examples of how do you kind of link purpose and partnership and passion and family and profession and I think that that's the holy grail if you can you know I think living an adventurous life is something that you don't have to have a vacation from. Mm. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm going to work so I can buy the things that I don't really need to impress the people that I don't really like to, you know, like it's that whole cycle that somehow is normal. I think it's challenging what normal is. And Mm. just because of where we are at in our life, it's challenging what normal is in relation to how we want to live our life, how we want to raise our kids, how we want to settle down in air quotes, because it doesn't have to be the traditional way that we've only seen it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's challenging. How do you make an impact on this world and how do you live with passion? And if you can do that, you can raise kids that can also do that. Yeah, that really resonates with me. I, I was having this, I often end up in what I would call almost a a calm argument about whether or not we're too late in being able to change and therefore be able to change humans' footprints on the planet. I like to take the optimistic view that we're not, that there is a groundswell and even just at Melbourne Airport, like walking through the bookshop, killing a bit of time before flying back from visiting Patagonia the other day, um, like as in the brand Patagonia, wish it was yeah. the place, but um, I was really noticing that in the self-help sections, there's just this huge push in minimalism, plant-based diets. Like, you know, th- there is like such a swell in that area that I don't think we've seen on this scale before. And I mean, there is a swell. I, I think my, I don't know. It's to be positive, negative. Um, I think there's going to take a, t- a tipping point. It's going to need something for the world to really all jump on board. I think there is a groundswell happening with a certain group w- within the community, but until we see a pretty negative shift happen that's very public that you can't hide from, you know, a major storm knocking out a city like New York, for example, like something of a large scale that people will go, actually, hang on a second here. It's not just a third world country that's getting hit, hit 
right now. It's a serious thing that. But affects... I think that that's already happening. But, like, yeah. I mean, that's that still, still being ignored. It's it, still. And that's why I don't. I don't think it's rational. You know, like the science is there. There doesn't need to be more science. We know that you know the temperatures have already raised one by one percent. They're on path to raise by two percent. So what does it take for people to actually understand? And, and I, I don't a hundred percent know, and I've spent my career trying to figure that out. But I think if you force people, if you tell people how bad it is, it doesn't make it better. So I do think it's you have to live your life. You have to find what lights you up and yeah. live in a way that is authentic, mm. because then you can't ignore these things like if you're dead and you're living where your whole system shut down and you're doing a job that you hate and you're just self-medicating through a variety of ways I feel like it's easier just to shut down versus if you're alive or you're in nature or you're following your passion or you're awake it that's the mm -hmm. best place you can be to to make change in this world and I think the best way that you can make change is to to make change in your own life first I can't agree more and that yeah for me that's that be wild element like and every time you make a shift that empowers you that little bit more whether it's like can I cut out that plastic a little bit more I'm going to change my shampoo so it's you know by you know you know biodegradable and doesn't come in a plastic bottle and, I, and then I can go and refill that bottle at the little like every time you make those changes I feel like you get this groundswell of energy that shifts you further and further and further forward. And other people come on the journey. Just, yes. For example, yeah. Justin had never thought about this in expeditioning. Like it was my thing that I wanted to do zero waste expeditioning. And it wasn't until he had made this mass order and it all came wrapped in plastic and it was pla like everything was plastic. And he, you literally... I had a bit of a breakdown about it. Like we even got it on film because he was crying. Because for the first time he realized how plastic is inundated in every consumable product right. and this is the point where I, i'd been you know using my keep cup doing all this stuff all this stuff and then all of a sudden like this mass order of gear came just wrapped up in plastic and like and half of it was i mean like reusable plastic and i was actually bit. excited because yeah. he finally got it and yeah. from there we could start you know making better decisions and we could have the conversations about where could we make changes so yeah. But it's really interesting because Not every fun. time you make a change, like the other day I had my keep cup on the aeroplane and I handed it to the hostess and said, could I please have a cup of tea? And she just looked at me and she didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And then on the way home, I, Graham um, and I had some soda water and they came in the little like aluminium cans. And so um, I, the hostess said, can I take those? And I said, no, 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 I'm going to take them home. She I've said to recycle them and she was sort of really taken aback and it, you know but I think every time you make you you make a little change for you because it feels important to you you take someone else on that journey with you and yep. that's where the you have the conversation happen. or you plant the seed in their head and I think yeah. that is really important if you think I can't make a difference and you just give up that's that's where I think it starts to get dangerous big reason why we went we did this last expedition as well and I don't know if Lauren's sort of talked, touched on this, is we wanted to raise a strong, curious, connected individual in Morgan because we had a conversation around whether we wanted to have kids before before we had Morgan and with what's going on in the world, is, yeah. it, is it actually yes. right for us to be able to, to do this? The world's to, overpopulated. And, and then we said, well, look, if we can raise the right individual that can cause it, create a change and be a force for good, then I think that's what we need to do. That's a big reason for why we did the expedition as a family. It's because we want to, we can't impart the, the learning right now. In school, she's not going to be able to learn all the things she needs for the future. But to be adaptable and resilient, something we can teach her. Well, we can't expect her to take care of nature and the environment if she doesn't love it. 
So a lot of this trip was building that love for nature within her DNA and reconnecting her to, or, and connecting her to that. I mean, she's so young, she's already connected. So it's just maintaining that connection. And a lot of it for me was just reconnecting to that wildness. And helping kids like Morgan not to grow up too quickly. You know, I think that's so important. Just how young kids are being expected to, yeah, I mean, to grow, like even last night we're driving home and, and one of the um, private schools, their bus went past, a boys' school, and on the um, side of the bus it said, raising good men. And these kids were like four or five sitting in this bus going home from primary school. And I'm like, no, you know, like we're not, we're, we're trying to raise kids, I, I would say. Yeah. And, and I think then as adults we're trying not to become an adult too quickly. And I think that's where play goes into it. You know, I think that's that curiosity and allowing them to be kids and connect. And Speaking of which, here's Morgan. Hi. So um, I'd like to thank you guys as a family. I'm really glad that the three of us, four of us, I should say, were able to sit down and have this conversation. (laughs) 